Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. A science story, huh? NYU scientist, they felt I figured it wow. out. It was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Adam Becker. It was recorded in November 2016 at Camp Hess Kramer in Malibu, California, as part of our event at SciComm Camp, an organization that brings science communicators and scientists together for a weekend of training and fun. So, you think the things that you grow up with are normal. Eventually, you find out that some of them aren't. But, you know, for some things, even if the point is really driven home and you really find out that it's not normal, you just forget or you don't even believe that it's not normal in the first place. So here's something normal. When I was six years old, I was obsessed with dinosaurs. I had a stuffed stegosaurus, which I carried around with me everywhere I went. I fell asleep every night listening to Digging Up Dinosaurs, which was a cassette tape about, you know, digging up dinosaurs. Uh, And it was a cassette tape because this was 1990, and cassette tapes was all we had. And uh, and my cassette tape player was, in fact, see-through, because six-year-old Adam was pretty sure that that was radical. (laughs) And the see-through cassette player and the dinosaur thing actually kind of went together, because they both came from this place where I wanted to know why things happened. And the dinosaurs, one of the things that really fascinated me about the dinosaurs was you, you had this animal, and then it went underground, and then it came back out later, and it wasn't a skeleton, it was a rock. And that didn't really make a lot of sense to me. So I read a bunch of books about dinosaurs because I wanted to understand this and other stuff about them. So uh, I eventually made my way through all of the dinosaur books at the Wildwood Elementary School Library, except for one. And so I went to the library one day to get the one book, and something horrible had happened. Someone else had the book. And I couldn't just walk out empty-handed, right? Because books were my best friends. I had them with me everywhere, like the dinosaur. So I hadn't yet been inducted into the mysteries of the Dewey Decimal System, but I, I had this general sense that cool books were near other cool books. So I went down the shelf... And I found a book about the solar system. And you you know how little kids will just drop an interest, like overnight, just instantly? When I saw that book, I dropped dinosaurs like they were Milli Vanilli. (laughs) 
It was over. Space was the new dinosaurs. I raced through all the books on space in the Wildwood Elementary School Library. I learned that Venus was hotter than Mercury, even though Mercury is closer to the sun. I learned that Saturn had 18 moons. Well, more than 18, but it's 1990. That's all we had. Um, and I, I learned that there was a storm on Jupiter that was bigger than the Earth, and that, that Neptune has a ball of ice as a moon. I, I was in love. And, of course, my parents noticed that I switched from dinosaurs to space. But they weren't the only ones. My, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Brown, she also noticed that I switched to space. She could hardly help but notice because I was glued to these books and I was sitting right up in the front row of her class. And I was sitting in the front row because I, I had difficulty. I had trouble paying attention. Uh, I, would, I would, you know, daydream. I'd look out the window. I'd see something out the window. Uh, and just sort of stare at that. I'd get stuck on something we were talking about in class and just keep thinking about that and wouldn't move on with the rest of the class. Um, and, uh, and Mrs. Brown noticed this, so she had me sitting up in the front of the class. And she also, when, when she'd see me sort of drifting, she would just tap her fingers on my desk and I'd come back to earth. And she was always doing stuff like that for her students. She knew that her students were tiny people. And each one had their own needs and idiosyncrasies. And she would find ways of helping them out without singling them out in front of the class. Uh, and I think she probably had a little more trouble with me with that than the typical student. Because I didn't just have the trouble with the, you know, staring off into space. I, I also, I, I had trouble with the other kids. I, I couldn't read social cues the way that they could. I still have a problem with that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, and I didn't want to do the classwork. I wanted to read my books. But Mrs. Brown found a way to handle it. She, she, was, she was like all the best teachers. She was, she was observant, she was patient, and she was kind. So she found a way to deal with it. Uh, and I wish I could tell you more about her, but I don't really remember. I was six. You know, I, I, I don't remember, you know, how she handled difficult subjects in class or, you know, how, like, what her favorite jokes were or anything like that. You know, I, it just, this was, uh, this was a while ago. I, I just have this sense of, like, nice person who was kind to me, like, suffusing these memories of her, right? Because it's first grade. That's how it goes if you have a good first grade teacher. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, I, I knew that she was an adult. And, but I didn't know, I didn't know how old she was. I didn't know how tall she was. I didn't even know what her first name was or if she had a first name. <laughs> uh, I, I just knew that she was a grown up who was nice to me and knew a lot of things and she was my teacher and she liked Clifford the big red dog and uh, she had I think a parakeet and a hamster in the back of the classroom and that was it. Anyway, so she noticed that I made this switch to space. And, uh, and so a few months after that happened, she asked me a question. And, and this is where it starts to get really fuzzy, because this is like, what, I'm 32, so 32 minus six is 26, right? Yeah, okay, so 26, so quarter century ago, right? Give or take a little bit. I don't remember exactly what happened. What I know is that every single year, at the, toward the end of the school year, Mrs. Brown would do a unit with her class on the solar system. And that year, as part of that unit, she asked me to give a presentation to the class about the solar system because I've been reading all these books. 
And Mrs. Brown didn't usually ask her students to give presentations. If she did, it was just like, you know, she'd ask each student to come up and, you know, say a couple of sentences and then sit back down. This wasn't like that. Mrs. Brown wanted me to give a presentation alone. So I did. I went to the library and I got a couple of the big glossy books with, you know, the crinkly library plastic cover, the really good ones that were from like 1988 or 1989. So they had, you know, the latest pictures from Voyager 2 of Uranus and Neptune, which the older books didn't have. Uh, and, you know, I put, I put post-its and my mom helped me uh, on, on the pages with the right pictures. And then when the day of the presentation came, Mrs. Brown talked to one of the other first grade teachers and they opened up the collapsible wall between classrooms eight and nine and they all came in and I got up in front of the class and I gave a presentation about the solar system for 10 or 15 minutes and then I took a few questions and that was it. And then the next year I was in the next classroom over uh, and toward the end of the year, Mrs. Brown went and talked to my second grade teacher, and they asked me if I'd like to come back to Mrs. Brown's classroom. So I said yes, because I like Mrs. Brown. And then the next year, Mrs. Brown asked me back again, and I said yes. And then the year after, and the year after that, and the year after that, and after that. And then, you know, like for a couple of years in middle school, I didn't do it. And then I went back to doing it because not doing it felt weird at that point. It felt like walking out the front door without brushing your teeth or something like that. And Mrs. Brown was still there. She was still at Wildwood Elementary in the same classroom. She was a constant in my universe. And I just kept going back. By, by early high school, the first graders couldn't really tell that I was a kid. They, they thought I was an adult. And they started asking me things like, why do you know all this if you've been in space? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I almost laughed. And then I realized that that would be a mistake. And so I, I sort of kept my, my game face on. And I said, no, no, I, I haven't been in space. I just, uh, I learned all this from the books in the library on the other side of your classroom door right over there. And I just kept going back. I went back every year in high school. And then when I went off to college, I'd come home for Passover. And I kept going back to Mrs. Brown's classroom. It wasn't a ritual. Uh, it, it didn't become a ritual then. It had already been a ritual for years. And by the time I went off to, uh, by the time I finished college, I, I went off to Michigan for graduate school in astrophysics. And I kept going back to Mrs. Brown's class. And at that point, I, I, you know, I added a few extra things into the presentation. And I ended it with a, a computer-generated video of the large-scale structure in the universe that had been put together by one of the professors on my thesis committee. Uh, and uh, it, it sort of gives a sense of like the vastness of the universe. It's a, it's a pretty cool video. And even though, you know, I, I don't know that the first graders can really get their heads around the idea of, you know, how big a galactic supercluster is. I, I don't think anybody can really. <laughs> um, but, but it definitely gives them a sense that the universe is bigger than just, you know, the stars they can see in the night sky in suburban New Jersey. So after Michigan, I moved out to California. Uh, and became a professional science communicator. And, uh, and when I did that, you know, I, I, I started doing, you know, talks and blog posts, and then I started writing news and features, and it felt really good. It felt right 
it felt like it had been there waiting for me, like I had been doing this for years. And of course, I had been doing it for years. I was still going back to Mrs. Brown's classroom. But I didn't make the connection because, because I grew up with it, because it was normal. I didn't think there was anything weird about going back to your first grade classroom to talk about the solar system. Uh, I didn't even think it was notable. Like, most of my friends didn't know that I went, not because I hid it, but because I just didn't mention it to them. Like, the few who found out, they just found out because they asked me, what are you doing next week? I said, oh, I'm going back to New Jersey to present to my old first grade classroom about the solar system. <laughs> and they, they sort of looked at me, what? Uh, that, that's amazing. Bless your heart. You're such a good person for doing that. And I didn't feel like a good person for doing that. I didn't feel like a bad person for doing that. I just, it's something I did. I've been doing it since I was six. It was just normal. It was like the sound of your father's voice or your grandmother's cooking or, or the way the seasons change in your hometown. But eventually it did make the connection. The penny dropped. And I realized Mrs. Brown wasn't the teacher who got me interested in science. She came along a little too late for that. But she was the teacher who got me interested in science communication. So earlier this year, uh, I sent Mrs. Brown an email saying, hey, I'm coming home for Passover. I'd love to come into your class as usual. And she said, well, the kids are really excited to see you. And uh, guess what? I'm retiring. This is my last year here. I've been here for 30 years. So I didn't really know what to make of that. I decided, okay, I'll, I'll just go. So I went and gave a presentation to Mrs. Brown's class and talked about the solar system with them. And, and then afterwards, I, I took a little time and Mrs. Brown and I talked. Mrs. Ann Brown, she has a first name. <laughs> uh, and she's about the same age as my parents. And she's quite a bit shorter than the giant figure that loomed in my memory from first grade. And that was it. But I didn't really, I don't know what to do about it. I... Imagine, imagine your, your favorite holiday. Just take a moment, close your eyes, try to really visualize it. Think about what it looks like. Think about how it sounds, how it smells, how it feels. Got it? Good. Now, hold that picture there. Keep it in mind while I tell you something else. Now imagine that it's never going to happen again. This year is the last year, and there's nothing you can do about it. So what do you do? Well, you go, and you have the best holiday that you can have. And then you go home and you wait because it doesn't feel real until it comes back around on the calendar again and it doesn't happen. So that's where I am now. I'm in limbo waiting to not go to Mrs. Brown's class. But the good news is now I have a better appreciation of what Mrs. Brown gave me. I don't get to go back to her classroom again. I can't go back. But now I have a job where I get to do the same thing every day. I get to learn about science and then share it with everyone around me. 
I, I don't have to have a special day anymore to go to Mrs. Brown's classroom because now I'm in Mrs. Brown's classroom every day. <sighs> Sorry. Doing what she showed me that I could do. Thank you. That was Adam Becker. Adam is a writer and astrophysicist. He is currently writing a book about the sordid, untold history of quantum physics, which will be published in spring 2018 by Basic Books. You can find him online at FreelanceAstro.com and on Twitter at at FreelanceAstro. We're grateful for the support of the Simons Foundation, who helped make this all possible. The Story Collide is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, Cassie Soliday, Nissa Greenberg, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Zoe Saunders, and the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to great teachers everywhere for inspiring scientists all around the world. Just a reminder that starting next week, we'll be offering you two stories instead of one, so there's one more thing to look forward to in 2017. Alternately, there's one thing to look forward to in 2017. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.